Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Welcome to episode 91 with Jim Bob Williams, Katie B, and our guest, Michael Kerr, the Workplace Energizer. Welcome to LaughBox. It's the podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, AATH.org. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. And we have a special guest today. As we record this, it's October 17th, 2022, which happens to be Boss's Day. And we're going to talk to a man who knows a lot about leadership, a lot about organizational culture. There's no better person to talk to about bosses on Boss's Day than Michael Kerr. Michael Kerr at MikeCare.com. He has been the guru of humor at work. And Mike, I just want to take this moment to thank you. Because when I was a young, uh, struggling manager, uh, I happened to come across the humor at work newsletter. And I said, this is it. This is what I need. And uh, I followed your... uh, uh, I, I follow. I've been. I've been an admire, a follower, and admirer for over twenty years. I believe. Wow, you've been stalking me. That's, Pretty much. That's so nice. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the kind words. That's that's fabulous. Yeah. And it's true. Uh, I, and uh, when I first thought it, so, you know, humor at work. I thought there's a uh, there's a play on words there because there's humor in the workplace, but there's also using humor to accomplish things. Exactly. You, you, you're one of the few people who got my play on words that I intended, <laughs> so thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. Yeah, I, I get asked that question all the time. And really, it goes back to my days working as a manager in an organization that became, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, became a soul-sucking fun-sucking workplace that was just sucking the life out of me. And I realized I had to do something else with my life. So I took a leave of absence to try and ponder what I was going to do with my life. I did a lot of speaking and training in my job as a communications manager. So I knew I wanted to do something related to that. I knew I, I, I loved doing it. I knew I was, I was good at it. Uh, so I really wanted to do something around that, speaking to people, speaking to humans, my fellow humans. And then because of our dysfunctional soul-sucking culture, I got interested in speaking about workplaces and particularly the humor aspect. I actually went to a, to a humor conference it, and, and one of your humor conferences early on in that time when I was, I was contemplating what to do. And that was kind of a light bulb moment for me because I was known as a manager for using a lot of humor as a manager in my job, for using humor uh, to motivate people, to, to de-stress in the workplace, to help my team be more creative. But also, I sometimes I, I was also known sometimes for my subversive use of humor, my sort of, you know, this predates Jon Stewart, but I, I suppose 
um, I sort of had a John Stewart quality to my humor where I would be the uh, the kind of court jester pointing out some awkward truths in the workplace through humor. So that's what actually got me interested in looking at humor from a more serious perspective, from a more academic point of view, thinking to myself, there's more to this humor stuff than meets the eye. It's not just this superficial window dressing mm -hmm. kind of thing. And what really prompted that was seeing people lose their sense of humor in this organization because of how bad it was, right? So it was interesting that it was that that draw me to this where I started going boy you know so many of these people used to have really good senses of humor and now they're just they're they're not bringing it to work anymore they're just becoming fun suckers and and yeah. there's got to be more to this than meets the eye and so I decided at that point to make it my mission in life to talk about how work should not be sucking the life out of us that work is too important a part of our lives that we should be you know enjoying our work that that we can use humor to create more effective organization cultures for us as well as individuals to be more effective in the workplace. Now, recently you've talked a lot about uh, creating and culture you know, and how important it is for the leader to, uh, you know, to reinforce, develop and reinforce and, uh, and live that culture. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it was, it was, um, it evolved fairly early on. I started speaking about the role of humor in business and humor in workplaces early on. But then at some point I realized, you know, really what I'm talking about here is workplace culture. You know, how people interact with one another, the, the unique set of rituals, values, behaviors, traditions, attitudes that make up a workplace, the DNA, the soul of a workplace, right? The yeah. personality of a workplace, how it feels, how it smells. That's really what I was talking about. And so I came to the realization early on that you know, when I'm talking about this humor stuff, I'm talking about it, yes, to create a more positive, resilient, successful, productive workplace culture. But at the same time, I think there's a rubber chicken and egg relationship here because humor helps create a better workplace culture, I think. But it also, and maybe even more importantly, reflects a positive workplace culture. In other words, if leaders are doing those things, if all of us in a workplace are doing those things we need to do, to make people want to show up on a Monday morning where people feel valued and respected and appreciated and there's high levels of trust and there's open and honest communication and all those good ingredients that we know goes into making a rocking, great, inspiring culture, then humor, I think, is a natural byproduct of that. It's easy for people to keep a good sense of humor when you work in a great, awesome workplace culture and humor will just naturally flow out of an environment like that. Wow, I, this is fabulous. Can you give us examples of uh, organizations that you've been able to impact with this work? Yeah, there's, I mean, I work across a whole range of different organizations, associations, government departments even. So th th I have some great examples. Now, not necessarily ones that I've um, impacted, even though I have, I like to think I've impacted a lot in a very positive way, but I, I also, in my travels, I've interviewed leaders and gone into workplaces all over the planet, actually, looking at workplaces that are known for their great cultures and especially those that bring a lot of humor into the workplace. So one of many that comes to mind is one here in Canada in Winnipeg called Argus Industries. And they have this wonderful mantra that I just love that we should all steal. And it's simply this, work is hard enough as it is without making it any harder. Ooh. 
and we yeah isn't that great yes. i mean it's it's so true though we do all these stupid yeah. things we make these assumptions we put up jobstacles right obstacles that make it harder for people to do their jobs than we really mm -hmm. need to so they embrace that philosophy and to them that largely means hey let's make sure we're enjoying the journey let's make sure work is fun and this starts at the ceo level mike easton is the ceo and president of argus and he has this wonderful attitude about culture and employees and creating that very respectful work environment. They, they go out of their way to interact with the family members of employees because they feel like they're part of the support team, which is what I'm finding more and more with a lot of companies, by the way. If you want to have a huge impact on your retention rates, yeah. connect with the family members of employees. That's so powerful. So Argus Industries, huge believer in fun in the workplace. So they do all sorts of fun games. They do these games they call the X games where they have the, the folks who work in the factory. So the more blue collar folks create contests against the white collar folks who work in the front office and they have to compete in different job skill related stuff with partly the purpose of being to just bond and break down those silos yeah. that happen in the workplace but also to just kind of send the message that, hey, you know, you, you think our job is really easy? Okay, we've got some skill testing for you, right? Yeah. They do all sorts of theme days. So for example, um, one of them, just dirt simple, they do monochromatic day once a year where everyone just has to wear shades of black and white to work. And they do lots of fun rituals and traditions. And one that I talk about all the time is they, I, I'm not sure that they still do this, but they certainly used to do this for a long time. Starting on December 1st, an employee would show up at work with a gorilla costume and hide somewhere in the manufacturing plant or in the front office waiting to scare the heck out of his colleagues while a <laughs> hidden video camera secretly recorded the frightened reactions of all these folks just screaming their heads off and jumping. And then they'd create a montage video, splice these all together and show it at their year end party. And it became a huge part of their culture. And so Argus Industries is one of those great examples. They have high levels of fun, yet at the same time, they have a ridiculous track record of growth within their industry. They have virtually a 0% employee turnover rate, which is unheard of. And as I say to my audiences all the time, it's not because a gorilla shows up. Yeah. on December 1st, right? That would be awesome if that was the solution to all our workplace challenges to just order some gorilla costumes. It's because of what the gorilla represents. It's yeah. because that gorilla represents this culture of lightness and this spirit of fun where it's okay to do something that outrageous. And not only are you not going to get in trouble for it, we're gonna keep on this tradition because it's a great fun tradition that bonds everybody. That is oh. magnificent. Love it. Oh, love yeah. it. Love it. Yeah. And there's so and, and I love finding these examples, right? Because there's just so many, so many just fun examples out there. Companies that are doing, doing just so many great things. Another, another one of my favorites is um, Barrel Health Call Centers. I spent some time with them in Bedford, Texas. And I don't know if you know this, but of course, in some markets, call centers, not the best reputation for the best work environment. In some markets, a 400% employee turnover rate, which means I think people are showing up on day one, looking in the window and going, I don't think so. Yeah, not for me, right? But Bedford, or, or sorry, uh, Barrel Health Call Centers, totally different. Their, their employee turnover rate is in the low teens and they make five times the profit of their nearest competitor and they embrace this 
enormous spirit of fun. They have so much fun. They have fun job titles. The, the human resources manager who I interviewed there has the alternative job title, the queen of fun and laughter. They have oh. their, their employees' kids' artwork up on the walls. They have this giant laugh box in the middle of their call center floor. The CEO has been known to show up at the call center floor dressed in a matador costume on rollerblades just to check in with employees <laughs> in a fun way on the midnight shift, right? And he is a self-described shy introvert, right? So again, we have to we have to remind ourselves it's nothing to do with being an introvert or an extrovert when we talk about bringing more humor into our lives, into our workplaces. So they embrace this high, high spirit of fun. And here's an important lesson from them too. And, and many of these other companies that I've gone into as well, just because they have this very family focused philosophy, very positive workplace culture, very inspiring, fun workplace culture, doesn't mean they don't have high expectations for their employees. And I get asked this question all the time, right? Like, well, aren't we just, you know, we're, we're encouraging people to slack off somehow and no work is gonna get done. Well, of course, that's not what we're talking about. They have very high standards at Barrel Health call centers. In fact, it's incredibly difficult to just get a job with them even because they make sure they hire people. They're, they're ruthlessly relentless with their hiring practices to make sure they're getting people with the right attitude and who have a good sense of humor already. And they hold people accountable. So it's not about lowering our expectations of people in any way or compromising success, just the opposite, using humor and fun and a bit of levity and humanity to actually drive more outrageous results. What would you say that bosses need to know today on Bosses Day? What do they need to know on Bosses Day? Oh, that's a great, they need, they need, they, they need to know that I think first and foremost, just that work has an enormous impact on their employees' lives that goes beyond a paycheck. It's not about a pay or just about a paycheck. Work affects your employees' mental and physical health more than you could realize. It affects their marriages, their family lives. It affects their time off. It affects their development as human beings and who they socialize with and sometimes where they live. And it's just a wee bit of a time sucker. It's the single biggest use of our waking hours in this short journey called life. And nobody sitting on the old rocking chair at 103 is going to look back to our work days and think to themselves, boy, if I could do it all over again, I'd be more of a soul sucker. I'd be more of a fun sucker working in a fun sucking workplace. So I think first and foremost, bosses need to embrace the notion that work has this enormous and very personal impact on people's lives. And your role as a boss, you have a, a disproportionate impact on your employees for better or worse. And everything that you do as a boss, everything you do either adds to your workplace culture in some positive way or detracts from your workplace culture in a negative way. And often that's stuff, I think that that as leaders, as bosses, as managers, that we do inadvertently, right? We, we're not necessarily doing that. We're just, we get busy, we're stressed out. We forget to be a little more thoughtful than we should have been, or to take the time to connect with our employees the way we should. You know, I wrote uh, a few months ago about this fascinating study from Harvard Business Review that was reported in Harvard Business Review that talked about the number one indicator of success of future leaders or the number one predictor mm -hmm. of what made a successful leader. And what they found was it wasn't what 
we might expect it to be. So it had nothing to do with intelligence or uh, uh, the ability, the ability to be eloquent as I stumbled to find my words. Uh, it had to do with, and the term they used in this study, and I love this, was they were positive energizers. And they didn't mean this in some, you know, new age kind of way, just that they were people who brought positive energy to their people in a positive way. And, and the litmus test for me, right? Pretty simple, but are you the type of person that people are happy to see walk into a room versus happier to see leave the room. Yes. And so that that was it, right? They, they were just positive energizers. They made people feel good about themselves. They took the time to connect in an authentic, genuine way and listen to their employees and to demonstrate compassion and build trust and to care about the 24-hour employee, the 24-hour human being that shows up in their workplace and not just treating them as a widget on a factory line. Yeah. In championship teams, a lot of times the factor is the morale, the clubhouse atmosphere. Right. The players are playing jokes on each other and the coaches. And uh, I think uh, like it was uh, Don Baylor with the old Baltimore Orioles. He used to have a kangaroo court where after the game, he'd issue fines to players, you know, who missed a sign or something like that. It was, but just kept the, clubhouse loose and that reflect was reflected in the success of the team oh yeah. I, yeah i love that it's so important right and i think this is one thing we have to remember uh and and sometimes it's hard to get this this message out there right but there's a difference between being somber at work right we don't yeah. we we have to be so careful that we're not creating this somber heavy oppressive work environment that we know does so much damage where people don't feel like they can bring their authentic selves to work and, and just be human and screw up from time to time the way we all do and, and don't have to be perfect every second of the day. There's a difference between being somber versus being yeah. serious about our work. Of course, we're not suggesting you take your work lightly or the concerns of your clients or customers yeah. lightly. We have to take our job seriously, but it doesn't mean we have to, again, take ourselves so seriously or create this environment of over- over somberness is that a word we could make it a word we'll make it a word it's a word yeah. over somberness why not i love it it's perfect yeah the best bosses are bo are quite simply bosses that care about their employees i think yeah. right that that have that mindset uh of that you know we've all heard the phrase uh, leader servant you know servant yeah. leader servant leadership where you're leading your employees and and your job as a boss as a leader isn't to create more followers or more followers, it is to create more leaders, right? And that's the ultimate job of an effective, inspiring leader. Is and leader that is servant, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is leader yeah, no, servant no, no. still, is that still current? It, yeah, I, I think it is, yeah. It's, it's certainly still relevant. I think it's, it's gotta be part of the equation for sure that leaders are serving their employees, that, that, they, that their job is to build more leaders. In fact, I love how some organizations have the mantra, we are leaders leading leaders, because they recognize that yeah. leadership happens at every level in their organization, and that our job is to develop those leadership skills, no matter where you are in the hierarchy, or what you do in your company. And obviously, if you want to rock it in your business, rock it in your workplace culture, the more people you can get embracing a leadership mindset on their teams, then I think it makes sense to me, you're going to be 
more successful. But I think, you know, back to what makes the best leaders, they, they demonstrate compassion, they get to know their employees, they build trust, they bring their sense of humor along for the ride, they don't take themselves too seriously. So just all those elements, and so much of that to me just boils down to just being human, right? Just being, yeah. being more human and being more authentic. And you know, as a, one of the most powerful things you can do as a leader, in fact, is, is to own it when you screw up as a leader and own it in a fun way, right? Put on your little bone, I, I, I don't have it handy, but I have a little bonehead thing that I, I sometimes use, a little bonehead prop to remind us of how we have to own our bonehead plays and, and admit it. And when you do that as a leader, it builds trust. You come across more authentic and people admire you for it. It's not a weakness, it's a strength. I mean, I lived and suffered through a number of management systems, you know, <laughs> uh, leadership by objective, matrix management, Six Sigma. We had a number of, uh, you know, flavors of the month that would come through in yeah. the companies that I worked for. But respect for other people and humor can be applied no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, it's timeless, right? It's yeah. it's never th those basic principles, respect, trust, compassion, humor. Those aren't going to go away. They're not gimmicks, right? Mm -hmm. We can build those into any kind of management philosophy or approach that we take, I think. But yeah. but they have to be front and center. And of course that means too, as I always stress when we talk about values and humor is a value, right? We when we talk about values that we bring into the workplace, I always remind people, and sometimes I'll do this too, when I have a, a mixed audience, say a, 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 an association where there's people from different companies there, sometimes I will dig out their value statements and point out that a lot of them have the exact same list of values. Yes. Right? The exact same words. So what is making one company rocket and another company a soul-sucking, fun-sucking place to work? Well, of course, it's those cliche sayings, actions speak louder than words and talk is cheap. So the leader's job, the top executive's job, the manager's job is to make sure those suckers actually mean something, that they translate those values into observable behaviors and actions and attitudes, that they model them and that yeah. they hold people accountable for them. And yes, they celebrate success when people are living up to those values, but we have to turn those into meaningful things. As, as I always jokingly say, you know, you look like a, uh, you look at a value like teamwork. Oh, we believe in teamwork. Well, mm. Isn't that nice? Now, do you think anybody is going to apply for a job in your company and say during the job interview, I want you to know I'm not a team player. <laughs> I've got some anger issues. Don't really care for humans. You know, maybe put me in the basement somewhere or safe work environment, right? Yeah, we, we believe in safety above all else. Is anybody going to say, yeah, you know, not for me. I'm a bit of a daredevil, right? <laughs> of course not. So what we have to do is make sure these suckers actually mean something in real tangible ways. I spent some time with a company in Copenhagen, Denmark, AFA JC to Cope, and they had just undergone this culture relaunch initiative where they came up with four new value statements, all with input from their employees, always a great idea. And one of them was a spirit of fun. And so they did this very simple exercise to bring their values to life. They did this, what I would call a values blitz. So what they did, one value per week, 
Let's tackle one value per week and everybody live this value for one week in an outrageously loud way. So just go crazy, like put the needle way over on, on extreme, on 11 out of 10 to show what's possible. Maybe we won't keep it there. Maybe we can't sustain it at that level, but for one week, let's see what we can do so that we kind of internalize that value. Then week two, value two, week three, value three, week four, value four. Then they cycled back to the top after only about six months. And how powerful is this? Everybody working in that company agreed with the statement, I now work for a brand new company because they brought those values to life. Wow, I love that. The pandemic created this situation where a lot of organizations realized, quite frankly, they can't get away with doing things the way they used to do them, that they can't get away with business as usual, that people's expectations are changing. We discovered during the pandemic, a lot of people did that well, maybe I have different priorities now. Maybe my health matters to me. <laughs> maybe I don't want to be stressed out anymore and working 70 hours a week. And my family is important to me and I've got these other priorities. And so I need to reassign things in my life and, and reassign my priorities and look at my relationship to work. And so for a lot of companies, I think it was a bit of a wake-up call where yeah. they realized they had to start doing things in terms of their culture and how they were connecting with their employees that they should have been doing all along. So that I, I firmly, firmly believe. I also believe that this is a great opportunity for a lot of organizations because as people talk about the great resignation and all these people you know, releasing themselves potentially into the wilds, mm -hmm. this is a great opportunity for those companies that do have an incredibly forward-thinking, family-first, employee-first, fun, positive workplace culture with really inspiring values. It's an opportunity for those companies because a lot of those employees in the Great Resignation. Now, some of them are some of them are deciding to just retire early and maybe pack it in permanently, or they're deciding they're a couple and yeah, we can live off of one salary. We don't need both of us to be stressed out. We're going to make it work. <laughs> but for those employees that are still out there looking for jobs, well, of course, then this represents a huge opportunity for companies that get their culture right to attract great employees. And so I would encourage organizations to look at this as a, as a brilliant opportunity to become the hunted. And if you are known as a great organization, if you are known as a great culture, we know that that is what happens. You don't have to worry about tight labor markets. You don't have to go scrounging around for employees because employees come to you. You look at companies like Southwest Airlines or Zappos and the number of people that apply for jobs when they have job openings there, is, is just crazy because they've earned that status as a great place to work. So then you don't have to worry about tight labor markets and you're in a position. And this is, this is the mindset that companies have to adopt too, by the way, when we're hiring employees, is if you want to, as presumably everybody does, hire and attract, attract and hire and recruit the best possible candidates for whatever that job is, doesn't matter what the job is, but the best possible candidate for that job, then we have to flip that around and remind ourselves if they truly are the best possible candidate for that job, then they have all sorts of options. They don't have yeah. to come and work for you. They've got a dozen other options. So you need to sell them 
as much as they need to sell themselves on you as to why you should hire them, you need to sell yourselves as to why you should be a great place to work, why you are a great place to work and why you should come and work for us. You have to champion your culture. We know what drives success in, in private companies versus government versus nonprofit. It's the same factors. It's the same ingredients. And this stuff works everywhere. This stuff works across any industry. I, I don't care what industry you're talking about, how serious the industry is, how serious your job is, and whether you're nonprofit or for-profit, the fundamentals are the same. And everybody, even if you're in a nonprofit, you're competing still in some way. You're competing for people's attention. You're competing still for good for if, if it's government, you're competing still for good employees and to want to retain good employees. If you're a nonprofit, say, charity association, you're still competing for attention. You're competing for eyeballs. You're competing for good volunteers. And so those same values have to rise to the surface. And again, infusing those organizations with high levels of fun perhaps is even more important in some ways. That's right, because you can't compensate with salary. That's benefits. right. Yeah. That's right. So you have to, you know, and I, I, I say that to profit companies, for-profit companies, you know, one of the things we should aim for is to get employees to forget about their paycheck as much as possible. Let's, let's pay everybody fairly, or as I say, you know, in an ideal world, a little bit more than fairly. Wouldn't that be nice if we could do that everywhere? Mm -hmm. But then work to create the kind of culture, be the kind of leader where your employees forget that they're there just for a paycheck. And as I say, anyways, in those situations, the vast majority of people out there, they can't do much about their, the, those levers of pay with their employees anyway. So they don't have that at their disposal. So they have to focus on those things that they can control. And as you say, in nonprofit sector, then if, if we're trying to work with volunteers, then you don't have those levers of offering bonuses or money or a raise. So you have to really, really be intentional about making sure you're inspiring them with those values that you're, you're practicing uh, the, all those, the important stuff around recognition and praise and thanking employees and your volunteers in fun ways and, and making it a meaningful experience for them and connecting them to a sense of purpose, which we know from so many studies is one of the biggest motivators there is out there. And, and as I say too, right, we, when we talk about losing employees, you know, I, I think we have to take this mindset that of every organization is going to lose employees or lose volunteers for the right reasons, right? Yeah. And when it's the right reason, we want to encourage them. We want to support them. We want to help them in any way we can. Uh, you know, a right reason might be that, well, they've decided to go back to school and, and get a degree or get their master's degree, or they're going to open up a taco shop in Bora Bora. That sounds like a right reason to me, right? So we want to wish them well and encourage them well. What we have to make sure though, we are relentlessly doing is not losing our employees, not losing our volunteers for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Because there's a huge, huge expense to that. There's a huge amount of stress that goes along with that and all sorts of hidden costs that go along with that. So we cannot afford to lose people for the wrong reason. You've attended an AATH conference, yeah? I have a few of them, yes. And so you know the term humor doomer. Is that Actually, familiar? you know what? I, I, don't know if, I, I don't know if I have heard that term. Is it a newer term? Humor, I love the term. <laughs> it is, comes is this from- like a, Is this like a fun sucker? 
Yes. It comes from, it's a joy sucker. It's a fun sucker. It's the person in the room who takes the energy away, who doesn't laugh at a joke, who doesn't allow humor. So I was going to say, in those cases, do you have a methodology to turn around the humor doomer or the fun sucker in the room? Well, it's it's a challenge. And I get asked that question all the time. And so always, I I circle back to as a starting point, I always circle back to remind people. Now, obviously, it's too late in most of these cases, but I do remind people again, this is why you want to get your hiring right and invest in your hiring. And whatever you're doing right now when it comes to recruitment and hiring, quadruple it. I know successful, in fact, one of my recent books I wrote, it's a very small book called Hire, Inspire, and Fuel Their Fire. It's all about hiring people for their attitude, for their sense of humor, for a culture fit. And so many organizations are relentlessly investing in their hiring practice because they realize that's 90% of the battle is get people on board already who have the right attitude, who have a good sense of humor, who aren't going to be a fun sucker because they're incredibly difficult to deal with. In fact, when I was talking to the, the manager at Barrel Health Call Center, she was saying to me, you know, frankly, Mike, it's a pain in the butt to get a job with us because you know what's a bigger pain in the butt getting rid of a pain in the butt so getting your hiring and training and onboarding and coaching and all that stuff right matters so so much so that you, you don't have to worry about those fun suckers to begin with but one of the things i do find myself saying to a lot of my clients who lay out these scenarios and and it makes me so sad that they do this because they'll say you know we had these fun initiatives we're going to do but we don't do them anymore because we have this small little group of fun suckers that don't enjoy it. And yeah. so my response is, well, why are you letting them win? Why are you letting, like it's, you just said, it's a small group. Don't worry about it. At some point, you have to ignore the fun suckers and go ahead and still do these things that you want to do to build some positive energy in your workplace. I think in a positive workplace environment, we have to for sure invite everybody to play we have to invite everybody to be included to make sure everyone does feel included in our social events in our fun events and any fun exercises we do so that they have that sense of belonging and they know they are 100 welcome to participate but at the same time realistically we can't force people to have fun that reminds me of the old what was the old quote about you know the beatings will stop once morale yeah, uh, morale yeah yeah. There, in fact, there's a... In, Maybe in, will not stop until morale improves. Until yes. morale improves. I referenced this study in my book, The Humor Advantage, that I think is very fascinating, where they studied German shepherds in Hungary. And they studied the difference between police German shepherds, German shepherds that were police dogs, versus border crossing dogs that worked uh, in Hungary. And how they played with their dogs. And this is fascinating to me, and I'm pretty sure it applies to us humans and uh, our employees. They found that when the Hungarian border crossing dogs played, their cortisol levels dropped, their stress hormones dropped. But when the police dogs played, their stress hormones actually went up which is kind of bizarre. And the reason huh. was they found is they have different styles of training between those dogs. So the police German shepherds were more, and I, I, I'm not sure how this works. It seems kind of goofy with a dog, but they were, they were more or less forced to play. <laughs> they were required to play. Whereas the Hungarian German shepherds 
were invited to play and their stress hormones dropped. And I love that, right? It's just, it's so goofy, but I, I think that probably applies to us humans as well. So at some point, you know what? We just have to get on with life and ignore the fun suckers. I think too, we have to get, we do have to coach those fun suckers and talk to them about if, if their attitude is having a negative impact on the environment, we cannot let that persist because we know the damage of that. We know that people ultimately quit their jobs sometimes yeah. because of working with a jerky coworker. We know that people uh, miss out on that. There's all sorts of, all sorts of impacts, right? They're huge hidden yeah. costs that we sometimes don't realize are there. So we cannot tolerate that. So we do need to hold them accountable and coach them and talk to them about their attitude and the impact it is potentially happening. Sometimes it could be that they just don't feel involved. Sometimes it's just the fact that they're an introvert, right? And they're not comfortable doing some of these things that, that we've laid out for them on the humor buff A. So one of my suggestions too is to invite them to get involved in your planning. So invite them on the inside so that they can offer their perspective and maybe come up with some options that the introverts will be more uh, excited about getting involved with, right? And not feel so intimidated. I think that's great because getting involved in the launching aspect of it allows someone to have a little bit of control and a little bit of an opinion and yeah. feel like they're part of creating this, being maybe the boss or some somebody, you know, that's in a position of authority instead of feeling like it's being dropped on them. Exactly. Oh, now you have to be funny. Yeah. yeah. You know? That, yeah. that they actually get to build part of it. Exactly. And, that, and you know, you're talking about what's, what's called the Ikea effect, which is this phenomenon, right? That we, well, in fact, I've got, this is probably like a 20 year old bookshelf I have behind me in the window. It's an Ikea. And I, you know, I'm sure when I bought it, I probably cursed at the instructions, couldn't figure out how to put it together. It probably sat there for two weeks in a box. And then I finally, you know, wrestled with this thing, probably had a few pieces left over when it was done. But, you know, did I end up liking it more? Because, yeah, because I had to build it myself, right? So that's called the Ikea effect. When we get people involved at the beginning, then, of course, they have way more ownership. One thing I found is, is if an employee was reticent to get involved, there usually was a reason why. Mm -hmm. And until I found out what that reason was, you know, why are they laughing at my jokes? You know, how can they not right. do that? But then you sit there one-on-one -on -one with them, you say, well... They've got a relative with cancer. They're in the middle of a divorce that you didn't know about. They're exactly. There's there's yeah. something below the iceberg, right? And having those one-on-one -on -one conversations is so important. In fact, I'm a huge, huge believer in this. I think workplaces have to have way more honest and open conversations and fewer meetings. <laughs> yes. The more, you know, the, the quality of your workplace culture will largely be dictated by the quality of the conversations you have with your employees, between employees, between team members. And so you're, you're, you're spot on, you know, getting to the, what is, is there an underlying cause going on? And, and very often there is. And so of course, if we can get to the root cause of this. And I will say this too, as a, as a speaker, and I'm sure we've all experienced this. Uh, in fact, I was just speaking yesterday. I was doing a keynote yesterday and it was the classic case where I keep looking at this guy who's the closest to me in the audience. And I swear the entire time I spoke for an hour and 15 minutes, I don't think he smiled once. Like the rest of the audience was laughing and 
smiling and engaged and I keep you know I keep glancing over and they're going okay like he's not enjoying himself here he's just his face was just like a rock no laughter no smiling after the talk though he comes up to me and he says oh my god that was hilarious that was so much fun thank you so much and I'm going could you have, you know, maybe told your face? Because I was sitting there thinking that I was sucking this whole time. And so we do have to remember that sometimes, right? That sometimes, and my wife reminds me of this all the time, that, you know, you just never know. Sometimes people just don't, they're still with you, but they're not very expressive with their, with their laughter or their facial expression. Everybody has stuff going on. And to remember that we're all human and we've got stuff. And if we can trust each other to talk about it, you find support, you find something maybe you need at work. Where is the peace and joy in our workplace? One of the most powerful motivational influences there is, is having a sense of meaning in our jobs, a sense of purpose in our jobs. I think as leaders, that's part of our job is to connect people to a greater sense of purpose in their work. And as employees, if we can, and sometimes this just comes down to mindset stuff, right? Just looking at our jobs in a little bit of a different way. I love the work that Yale professor Amy Resneski does mm -hmm. on the importance of meaning and purpose in people's jobs. And her one classic study of cleaners in hospitals that shows how, you know, on one end of the scale, People doing the same job, right? And I always point this out to my audiences too. You, you fly on a plane, for example, and you look at the flight attendants and you think to yourselves, okay, same airline, same workplace culture, same duties, you know, probably pretty close, same level of pay depending on seniority. And yet flight attendant A, hmm, wonderful. Flight attendant B, not so much, <laughs> right? And so much of that starts with our individual mindset. So her study back to the hospitals found you know, one end of the scale where the cleaning staff were, you know, not terribly engaged. And when asked about their jobs, they would respond with things like, it's very boring. Anybody could do this job. And then they'd rattle off their job description, blah, blah, blah. But the other end of the scale, they would talk about how, oh, you know, job of a cleaner in a hospital is essential. Like we save lives. It's important to keep facilities clean. And you know what I love about my job is connecting with the patients and the small things that I can do with the patients when I have a few extra time, right? So same job, same culture, but just a different mindset about how they connect to a sense of purpose. But as leaders, we have to help people, I think, make that connection. And so certainly that's part of the answer, I think, a big part of the puzzle for peace and more joy in our workplaces, knowing that your work fundamentally matters, no matter where you are in the organization, no matter what you do, your piece of the puzzle matters to our success. And we have to celebrate that. We have to connect people to that ultimate sense of purpose. One of my clients, and I love this, they have a purpose hallway. And down one side of the hallway, they, they celebrate all the different reasons why the individual employees come to work and how they find purpose in their job. And sometimes it is. It's not necessarily always altruistic stuff. I mean, sometimes people put up things about how they're, they're, you know, they're, they're excited about saving up money to put their kids through school, or they're going to buy a boat in three years, right? So it's, it's everything, it's across the board. But then on the other side of the wall, uh, hallway, the uh, purpose hallway, they have all of these newspaper clippings, awards, testimonials 
from the downstream impact their work has on their clients to celebrate that sense of purpose. And I think that certainly is a huge part of the equation in terms of finding that peace and joy at work. And then again, it's, it comes back to some of the things we've talked about, knowing that you are valued, knowing that you can be trust, that you, you're in a trusting work environment. Trust for me, perhaps more than anything, right? If I go into a workplace where I know my boss has my back and my colleagues have my back, then that, of course, is going to give me a huge amount of peace of mind and joy in my life to know that, hey, I'm working with people that care about me as a human being. And I know that if I get into trouble, they've got my back. I don't have to, I don't have to be overly worried about anything. And then circling this back to humor and fun, I think it's just, again, looking for those ways that we can infuse humor on a regular basis into our workplace. So I talk a, a lot about the importance of just micro moments of fun where, mm. you know, cause a lot of people yeah. say to me, well, you know, we're so busy. We don't have time to add more stuff to our, our work day. Well, it's not always about that, right? If you can do simple little things, like you're walking down the hallway, just pass an imaginary energy ball to people as you're walking down yeah. the hallway, right? That doesn't take any extra time or effort. One of my clients, they do third person Thursdays. I love this. So every Thursday, everybody refers to themselves by their first name, right? So it's so stupid, right? So if I worked there, I'd be saying things like, hey, yeah, Mike's looking forward to the meeting later on. Hey, Mike has an idea. It's just so stupid. But does that take any extra time or effort or money? No. So simple little things like that, that you can weave into the fabric of your day. You know, when you go into a meeting, call it calling shotgun to get the best seat at the meeting table or playing a quick round of rock, paper, scissors to decide who has to take the meeting notes, right? So these little micro moments of fun that we can infuse throughout the workplace, really important. And then if we wanna keep this going on a regular basis, I think committing to some rituals and traditions at work is so important. Rituals and traditions give everyone something to look forward to, something to reminisce about, which helps boost our levels of happiness, we know from research, and it helps strengthen our cultural identity. It helps create those moments of shared history in our cultures, in our workplaces. So there's no end of fun rituals and traditions we could do. Maybe it's something to kick off the work week on a fun way on a Monday morning that gets everyone rallied up. Maybe it's a Wednesday hump day ritual to help people get over the hump or a Friday afternoon huddle where you review the top three wins of the week. Maybe it's celebrating those wacky theme days or your own made up theme days like third person Thursdays or the gorilla ritual, whatever it is, those rituals and traditions are so important. And almost every organization I've interviewed has talked about the importance of rituals and traditions in helping them build a positive, joyful work environment. The future of work and the future of humor at work, I think, I think it's trending in a positive way for the most part, right? Mm. Yes, of course, there's still enormous challenges out there in a lot of, lot of work organizations, especially in different countries, especially in, in different sectors. But the trend is positive, I think. I mean, even if you look back at the last 20 years in terms of, of just the topic of humor in the workplace, I mean, when I started speaking about this... Yeah. There weren't all that many people talking about humor in the workplace, right? <laughs> now there's a lot of people talking about it and it's become an acceptable part of our language even, which I don't no. know that it was 20 years ago, right? So that even says a lot. I mean, you look at speaker bureaus, 
categories of different types of speakers. And now sometimes humor is listed as a category, whereas it may not have been 20 years ago. So I think there's better understanding of the importance of humor than there's ever been. There's certainly, I think, better understanding of the importance of culture like never before. Mm. Uh, I, I think, again, organizations are, are speaking about culture, are, are concerned about their culture, are creating positions such at which we wouldn't have seen 20 years ago, you know, culture champion positions in their mm. organization, culture leaders in their organizations, director of culture, you know, all these jobs with culture right in the title at the C-level suite. So mm. that certainly would indicate that organizations are understanding that it matters like never before and that there is a payoff to investing in culture and that part of that equation has to include humor and fun and humanity. So in terms of the biggest possible picture, I see the trends as being very positive and I don't think we're going to go back because I, I think frankly, employees, employees of all ages aren't going to tolerate things that maybe maybe they would have or we would have as a society 50 years ago or 40 years ago or even 20 years ago now as priorities shift. You like to tell people about a new book, tape, point, or cheesecake? Cheesecake. cheesecake. <laughs> yes, I have my own line of cheesecakes products that I'm now <laughs> launching next week. I, thank you for the plug. I, I appreciate that. Yes. Michael Kerr cheesecakes. Yes, will be available. Humor at work cheesecakes. Oh, that would be very cheesy, wouldn't it? My three most recent books, um, one certainly relevant to our, our conversation today, the most relevant probably is The Humor Advantage, Why Some Businesses Are Laughing All the Way to the Bank. So thank you for that. That's very much about culture and the important of, importance of workplaces and organizations embracing a spirit of fun and humor at work. Hire, Inspire, and Fuel Their Fire, which I mentioned, which is about hiring for culture. And then my last book, which I had a lot of fun writing, it's a fairly quick read, called The Jerk-Free Workplace how you can take the lead to create a happier, more inspiring workplace. And although it's targeted for any person in an organization, so that it's very, very relevant for senior leaders even, the intended target of this book is actually frontline employees yeah. with the, the message being, how can you not just be a jerk? Because that's one end of the spectrum, right? We, we wanna stop people from behaving like jerks at work if we're gonna create a happy, fun-filled workplace. But ideally, we want to move them along that scale, along that spectrum, so that they step up as frontline leaders. So it's really a book about frontline leadership and just what, what that means to be a leader on your team as a frontline employee. My website is www.mikekerr.com. That's M-I-K-E-K-E-R-R.com. So you can hook up with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I have a YouTube channel, Inspiring Workplaces on YouTube. So you're welcome to subscribe there. Uh, I've got a weekly newsletter that I send out about inspiring workplaces. I think Jim Bob was kind enough to mention that early on. So, so lots of ways to connect with me. And if anyone wants to reach out by email, mike at mikekerr.com. I want to thank you for making my work life tolerable. <laughs> <laughs> we need to keep selling the benefits of this. And I know time and time again, my clients, my audiences, once they hear these stories after stories after stories and see it actually, so it's not theoretical, they see it being put into practice and the phenomenal results, then they're far more willing, of course, to embrace it. So I, I think we do have to keep championing yeah. it.
So thank you. Mike, I just want to thank you. Uh, you've been an inspiration. The workplace is a lot better off because of you. Well, th that is very, you. very kind of you, Jim Bob. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate those words. That's 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 very kind. I, I I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to do what I do. I still love doing what I do, and uh, and I think for everybody listening out there, you know, keep plugging away, keep doing it. It's an important message that the world needs now more than ever. Not just the workplace, the world needs this message more than ever. And you know, I. I talk about this, this may sound cheesy a bit, but I honestly believe if you want to create a better world, starting one workplace at a time isn't a bad place to start because workplaces have such an enormous impact on, on, our, on our world, yeah. you know, on the environment, on, on social aspects in our communities, on our communities, on families, on employees, right? It affects so many different things. So if we want to create a better world, let's create better workplaces. And let's let's share humor everywhere and anywhere we can, because we know when done right, it is a force for good. It is a positive force for good. And it is, I honestly believe, one of the most human characteristics of all. Oh, that's so good. Amen. Amen. Michael, thank you so much. It's a pleasure meeting you. Oh, and, uh, likewise, I'm... pleasure to meet you both. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you for being with us for episode 91 with our guest, Michael Kerr, the Workplace Energizer. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much. This has been Laughbox, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Laughbox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.